right, welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Club NBA Podcast, episode 92 coming at you. It's your boy Samuel here. I'm back after a couple weeks, you know. I'm getting old, I'm getting washed, so you know, your boy can't do these as much as he'd like to, but I got with me my guy Chris Persianen of Nick's Film School and Draft Class, which I will say I did listen to the recent episode today on my bike ride, so make sure y'all check that out. Chris, say what's up to the people. Hey, it was good, and thanks for the shout out. I, I hope you enjoyed. Had uh, had Mr. Begley on the show. That was fun, but I'm definitely excited to be here. I always say um, it feels like cheating a podcast when you get to do it with one of your boys, so I always love potting with Sam. Just getting to shoot the shit. So what up? Yes, sir. And I did enjoy today's episode. Um, got some interesting draft nuggets for those who are NBA fans, draft fans, or Knicks fans in general. You, I think you'll you'll all find um, this this uh, this recent episode um, tasty for you. Um, the Golden State Warriors are NBA champions once again. Um, Winning the series 4-2. Last time I recorded one of these episodes, I had our good friend Schwinn on. And we talked about... Uh-oh. Um, these, yeah, we, talk, we talked about, like, what it... Like, the series was... Um, it was 1-1 at the time. And we were kind of thinking... Schwinn was having, like, these reconsiderings about his pick for the Celtics to win it. Because he just thought, like, you know, physically... Um, the Celtics, they posed a different challenge to the Warriors that they hadn't really seen throughout the, the whole playoffs um, with the bigger size of the the Jays and not only the Jays, but like their front line with Rob Williams and Al Horford and how they were able to be versatile on both offense and the defensive end. And after game two, he Schwinn was kind of like reconsidering his pick and he thought like the series would change heading to Boston um he was right he was wrong in 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 which game it would take place he thought game three would be like the turning point for like when golden state would take over the series but it ended up being game four which we saw curry had one of those like all-time vintage performances that people are going to talk about for a while of his 43 points in the td garden shutting up that fan base rightfully so on the road and making sure this series t- ends up tied 2-2. And from there, it was smooth sailing for Golden State. I mean, we'll talk about more in detail of what led to um, like certain, certain schemes, certain um, situations that just happened that ended up going Golden State's way and how they ended up turning around this series. But from then on, it was a Golden State series and... Stephen Curry wraps up his first ever finals MVP. It should be a second, but you know, that's another story for another day, but he gets his finals MVP. He gets the fourth championship. The Warriors dynasty is looking as strong as it's looked in a while. Chris, how you feeling about this? How how, how, how you feeling about this championship? Hey man, anyone but Boston. Um, Facts. Had a Nick fan rooting for the heat in the ECF. So <laughs> Like I say, even though I do shamelessly have a Jimmy Butler jersey in my closet because I love Jimmy Butler, I hate the Miami Heat. So <laughs> the rooting for them was was something. Uh, this finals was cool. I didn't like Boston making it just because I dislike them. But realistically, 
like their turnaround in the regular season, it was written, man. Like they were, I should have known they were going to be the finals team after the energy shifted, uh, you know, as, as Jalen Brown said, and Draymond Green famously just repeated. Um, I love Al Horford. I think he's never going to get nine months off on a tanking team and then be able to go super Saiyan in the playoffs. Cause he was chilling in his back to tank all regular season and, and the, the entire year before. So kind of sad, man. Like also a really good bow on top of a, of a cool career, you know, third pick Florida Hawks, all-star team that, that time. And, uh, facing Braun and, and now being old man Al and still contributing on a finals team was really cool. I don't think they get to where they are without this uh, HG Horford run. And, uh, you know, the no true point guard thing um, for Boston is a narrative that I I was annoyed with because of how people were using it. Like, if you look at, if you look at Boston and you're like, okay, this is a sign that point guards are a dying breed in the nba like i think you're an idiot but <laughs> that was like a really popular take um oh, really it, it, uh, dude people on twitter like the i mean I, I i know i, the, I saw the nerd accounts bro were beasting <laughs> i i know i saw that like people were like you know boston is showing that if you have like really versatile players that you really don't really need um i guess a true point guard and we'll talk about like boston situation going forward a little bit later in the show right but um yeah, I just didn't know that that that, pop- that take was like people that are like, popular. oh, like Rondo, like the true point guards are dying. I'm like, all right, man, nah. But <laughs> if you use that and you were like, yo, this is proof that if you have a jumbo initiator, someone like Emmanuel Quigley, for example, could be your one. Like, yeah, that's a good inference to make. I think that's a good analysis. But I thought it was stretched a bit, so you know that got annoying, and because it's Boston, it double annoyed me. And then on the Golden State side, you know, good for them, man. I got a, I, my co-host over on To a Tolerable Degree, Fritz, is a big Warriors fan. He's from San Francisco, so this was big for that's him. That's dope. Um, and he was really happy, man. Like he, I, I, I've known him for a minute. Like the KD rings, like you could tell he did not care as much. Like this really meant something to him. Um, and so I respect that as a fan who. I have regular season wins that could make me cry because we actually played the kids and actually pulled together and fought like some goddamn New Yorkers like we always claim to be. David Fisdale and Joe Judge telling us how the team's going to play gritty like New York and and both ended up being some of the worst coaches I ever seen in my life. So it's like, okay, yeah, man, like it's cool to 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 have that. So, you know, Tibbs, whatever. Like, yeah, so I respect the Warriors fans for that. I love Draymond. I, I'm totally a sucker for his whole shtick. Um, I I acknowledge that it's a shtick, but I love it. Like the same way, like, you know, you go to a car dealership and you let them talk you up and you let the, you know they're just chatting because they're trying to get a sale, but you let them do their whole song and dance. Like I respect Draymond in that way. I let him rock. I think it's cool. I think his whole like, are you not entertained mantra like that he kind of lives on is, is fire. Um, uh, but of course, it takes the superstardom of Mr. Steph to make that all happen. And between Wiggins, between Poole actually getting his shit together and, and figuring out how to contribute off the bench. Um, and and then uh, like Looney, man, he needs his flowers too. Like the Warriors just, this was a fun run from them. You know, I, I just got a tweet the other day from Mitch on the, the Nick State of Mind podcast. I went on and we talked our favorite overs and unders. 
and I gave them Minnesota and Golden State as my two favorite overs, and they called me crazy for both. Um, <laughs> and I just was like, Golden State is going to be better than you guys think. And they were like, no, they're old and injured, and they're going to fall apart, and Steph is old now. And I was like, okay, they're going to win over 50 games, and it's, it's going to be like a cakewalk for them to the Western Conference Finals. Was I totally right? No. Um, but, like, yeah, they, they are that kind of team, and they proved it all year. So this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that they won the title I mean, this year. To, to, I mean, to your point, I mean, they didn't really face that much adversity until they got to the to the finals where they were, like, actually down in the series. So. Yeah, I mean, fair, it kind of was. I feel like ball. I feel like the Mavericks gave them the, the, because of how volatile their shot diet is. You know, like they're always really up or really down. Like I feel like those Mavericks games maybe cakewalk through the conference finals because they were up so much. But when you really watch those games, they were fighting against Dallas. Dallas is one of those teams we hear it every day about how Coach Kidd gets his guys to fight. Um, mm-hmm. my least favorite thing ever in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that was that. There was a fight put up. It wasn't like Phoenix Game Seven where they were literally like, I don't think. Yeah, I will gonna, say that. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Like I don't total... think we're gonna do what, what it takes <clears throat> to win a basketball game today in Game Seven. Like, I think we're good on that. Like, that was crazy. <laughs> At least Dallas put up a fight, and yeah, I'm just happy for Golden State. You know, I think that, um the rich get richer is always not the most fun thing but Steph is is different man because he watching Steph play is always a treat right and and coming into the finals I told Schwinn I agree with all of your points as to why Boston is going to win but what's cool is that nothing that you just talked about accounts for the fact that Steph hasn't gone fully nuclear in these playoffs yet if you ask me it's happening against this all-time Boston defense quote unquote and all yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, that all time became very, very you know distant from defense. Like it was, and it was and, and, and to get into and to get into um why, like I mean, Steph is great. Like not gonna take anything away from his greatness at all because everyone should know by now. Steph is my favorite player in the league. Um, but before I give Steph and the Warriors their flowers, I will say that the Boston defense really looked suspect. In certain instances, for example, game one, the the way they were cover the way they they covered him, and even throughout the rest of the series too. I mean, there was a point I think in game six, they were like soft switching Al Horford onto him, and it was just like, um, do you guys know this is game six and you guys are facing elimination? I wouldn't really try soft switching right now, but to each their own. But yeah, I mean. They kind of they kind of gave Curry those opportunities to really get going, and he 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 fully took advantage of it. And credit to him, he he put on an all time performance in the in these finals. I mean, averaging what was it like thirty over thirty one points per game on like I want to say fifty yeah. percent shooting yeah. from three on like what was it like thirteen attempts a game, which is like insanity. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, a question for you: Do, Does this place him top ten all time, Steph Curry? Yeah, yeah, he has been averaging twenty eight, six, and seven over his four finals wins. Uh, <laughs> or a- average is yeah. yeah I, I just like yeah. I don't know, man. Um, he is insane. <laughs> yep. And the thing with him is that I, my my philosophy with top 10 lists cuz they're super convoluted right mm-hmm. is you're either like you're on there because you're an elite defensive player 
or at least were at one point in your career. You think about a typical top 10 list, Jordan, Braun, Olajuwon, Kareem, even Bird and, and Magic had size, right? And Bird was a great defender. Magic had size. Duncan, Kobe, right? Like these guys, Wilt, Shaq, Russell, these guys are all known as defenders and elite offensive talents too. But like, I don't know. There's no one that's consensus top 10 that I know that's a bad defender, right? So yeah. there's there's like, I don't put KD near the top 10 all time. And I hadn't put Steph near the top 10 all time because he didn't have the resume yet. But there was always a caveat to that for me. And it's that if your offense is so is good that, that the godly. defense doesn't matter, then okay. But Kevin Durant's offense is so good. So it's not just offense being good. And that's when I kept thinking about it more. And I came up with the following qualifiers. If you're not both an incredible offensive talent, but but in that including making your teammates better to an extent that outweighs your your good defense that's not great that's not elite whatever okay then you got a case for top 10 and i told myself that is how steph can fit in is because of the extent to which he elevates his teammates and even uh, defensively he's still passable he's like exactly so that's what he, i'm saying he put steph. on like um there was a there was a um twitter account if i can find them it's i, I think it's called dev um you look for it. I'll, I'll finish up my quick spiel, which is that like, if you're making your teammates better, that's what can cover up for the defense. And and the reason I'm so selective is because we're talking about the goddamn ten best players to ever touch a basketball. Like this is a really selective criteria. You know, like I'm sorry, Oscar Robertson isn't in my list despite all the triple doubles. That's not part of my. I don't care how many triple doubles you have. That's right. That's not. You know, Russell Westbrook wasn't the MVP that year in my eyes. Like I I, I would have voted Kawhi. So for me, for me, it's like, all right, what's the criteria? What what are we looking at? And Steph is literally, you know, Isaiah Thomas, not the one that whines on Twitter. Um, he <sighs> is in all time lists because he brought the defense, right? Mm-hmm. Like Steph has enough offense to make up for what he lacks defensively. And he always has the stupid reputation of being a turnstile. I just, you know, like that being as common as it was, like as commonly said as it was, just tells me like people don't want to watch games. They want to watch as little, as few games as possible where they can still sound like they watch games, you know? And I just found the account. I just found the account. It's it's called, um, the at is dev in the lab. And throughout the playoffs after like each finals game, he put out compilations of Steph on defense and he was he was playing really great defense these finals, yep. like contesting shots, getting in passing lanes as he always is, drawing charges, playing really strong. There was a play, I think, in game two it was, where he held his own against Allen in the paint on some post-ups a couple times. So, like, he was he was working on both ends. And for him to be able to put out that op- output on defense as well as being able to maintain such a high level of offense, I mean... It just, I mean, you just saw the result of it. I mean, it was it was a great exactly. performance by him. So, I mean, got to give him his well, flowers. Definitely top 10 all time. For I me, mean, yeah. he's, num- he's probably number 10. I don't want to, like, spend time debating the specifics of the list because we got a million other things to touch on. But yeah. you go through Jordan, Kobe, Hakeem. You go through Magic, Bird, and and, and that's, that's my top five, I guess. <laughs> But, you know, then there's Kobe Duncan, 6'7", 
Uh, you got you got you got to give Russell a shout, and then you know Shaq would be nine. If you if you're okay putting Steph ten, Will eleven, like that that's my list right there for top eleven. Like I, I'm, I, I'm definitely forgetting someone that's like sacrilegious, but <laughs> I uh, if I was putting it together quickly, like yeah, I just put together a top ten list with Steph in it, and I don't feel bad about leaving Wilt out because again he dominated on both ends, but what Steph does to help his domination offensively in terms of his team's offensive domination and what he does for the four other guys given that one of them shoots like he got a backpack full of rocks on even though i love him um yeah like i'm okay doing that so yeah and speaking of um giving more flowers to players i mean andrew wiggins man what what a story of a guy man i mean Goes from this reputation in Minnesota of being like a guy that's like too nonchalant, too laxed, just cares about his numbers and, you know, doesn't really care about winning basketball. I mean, he was probably the second best player on Golden State, I want to say. Like, I can say that confidently. He was the second best player on a championship team. And if you told me Andrew Wiggins was going to be a second best player on a championship team like two years ago, I'd probably laugh at you. And I'd probably say that you were doing like some like LSD or like some shrooms or like some some definitely some hard shit. I, I definitely um, criticize you for saying that. I mean, just both ends of the court. I mean, what he did to Tatum. I mean, Tatum's going to have recurring nightmares of this for the entire offseason. I will say that confidently. Um, his rebounding. I mean, the whole playoffs, he was a rebounding machine. and like. He just did whatever it took on both ends to make sure that his team was going to win the game. And, I mean, that's something that you could have not said about Andrew Wiggins for his entire NBA career, honestly. Like, he was known as a loser, like the other guy in Minnesota that's still there. Um, But, yeah, my question for you, after seeing Andrew Wiggins' performance in Golden State as a whole and in these playoffs and the finals— what does this say about how important consistency and team culture are for the development of a player, no matter where they are in their career? Because, I mean, look at Andrew Wiggins. He's like, what, seven years in, I want to say? Seven, eight years in? And yeah, he's finally looked like a consistent winning basketball player on both ends. So what does that say about how important consistency and team culture are for the development of a player? Man. I think a lot of people forget, and you know, maybe I'm part of the problem, but a lot of people spend their time with their two hands on their PS or Xbox controller, controlling digital basketball players, trading them, trading them for picks, drafting with the picks. Like, I think a lot of people get really comfortable talking about what it takes to develop a player because they know no matter what they do, the potential of their 2K player, like the rating is just going to go up over time. Guys mm-hmm. just get better. Guys just, they just get better. That's what everyone does. Yep. No, man, yeah, that's, that's a culture you got to grow. That's a, that's an ideology you got to grow. There's one, one of the, someone who's considered one of the best players in the league. Someone who I had to hear M grads yell from the rooftops was better than Giannis for years. Just admitted that he hasn't touched a basketball in like two months. So you know what I mean? Like, you really got to want this shit to be at a certain level. And, you know, as, as much as we love to make fun of him because he's a stubborn ass, Tom Thibodeau is a basketball genius, and he's someone who has mentored Andrew Wiggins throughout the years. While Tibbs didn't have a coaching job, Wiggs would talk to him, like, often. 
uh, about what he could do to get better. And Andrew Wiggins rebounds were like free money, <laughs> you know, all playoffs. I just I can hear the gotta 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 stay aggressive on the glass if you want to <laughs> stay on the court. You know, like I I I just I I understand how he got to where he got. And that shit is just hard work, you know, for him to be the number one pick, to be touted as yada, yada, and not do that, go to Minnesota, go hang out with Kat and Levine, two very serious basketball players that people believed were under a bad coach, as opposed to believing the coach who was like, they don't love basketball, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, Wiggins is about it. Jimmy, you know, they were telling that Draymond or whoever was talking about how, like Jimmy told them, like you're gonna like Wiggins. Like he, like Jimmy fucks with him, and Jimmy doesn't fuck with you unless you're really about it. So, Wiggins, I mean, that just gotta, says that we all know who the real problem was in Minnesota then, because if it wasn't, wasn't if it wasn't Wiggins, and and Cat got there with Mister Ant now by his side. I still, I still say Cat, man. I still say Cat because Tibbs being a, a GM was idiotic, right? But, um. Cat literally complained to the media that Thibodeau cared about basketball too much and that sometimes <laughs> he just didn't want to think about basketball and he wanted to be a person. Okay, that's not Tibbs' job. Right? I mean, yeah, that's 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 for you to figure it out, not for him. You can have an assistant coach you really like as a life coach. Like yeah. Tibbs, Tibbs got hired to be a basketball addict. He's married to the game, as everyone knows. Like, He's a sicko. So you want to get better, be a sicko and, with him. And even Tibbs was highly praising um wiggins went when what you call it when um golden state acquired him so i mean exactly I'm it was you, all he's, about he's his like mentor being, he's actually his mentor and it was all about just like wiggins finding the right environment which is like i personally think team culture having that consistency in because like with wiggins in minnesota they had like a new coach like almost every like every year and a half to every two years they had a new coach and like there's no consistency there um there was no winning culture. I mean, with Golden State, when he got there, he said, like, those guys, they 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 pressured him to be the best on the defensive end that he could be. And that really, like, pushed him to, to become what he is now, which, I mean, excellent two-way player, which we couldn't have said about Wiggins before. So, yeah. He is legit. And he actually is becoming, like, I think it was Kevin O'Connor did a video about his scouting report coming out of Kansas. Um, And he's like actually turning into that now. So, you know, people have different development tracks. This was talked about a lot by the media when it took Randall a bunch of years to have a season like he did. Um, Maybe the wrong conversation to be having and more like. Please do not give me a migraine bringing up number 30 in the orange and blue right now. Respect him. Uh, But anyway. I'm not I'm not anyway. respecting the guy that just put up a shitter season. I'm not going to talk about this right now. Witter Weezen. Um but not nah, so like <sighs> Wiggins just he got there. Like there's nothing you can say. He chipped up. You know, you see the video of him and Jordan Poole and Jordan Poole's like my man's about to get a big bag and Wiggins like nah, you better get a big bag and Poole's like you better get a big bag. Andrew's like clearly drunk already. He's looking at him. He's like we better get a big bag and they're both like ah, you know, like those like Jordan Poole we know is about to get paid. We know Wiggs got paid, but like 
Wiggs just proved it. He just cemented it. Did it take joining Golden State, playing next to Stephen Curry? Sure, but maybe he was never a number one option on a championship team, right? Like maybe that's okay that he's not. You know, you got to give up that lens at some point and just look at him for what he is, which is a good ass. And, basketball and, and he was a number two on a championship team, and that's something that you couldn't have said before. Which is was was this year Andrew Wiggins better than the best year they got from Harrison Barnes? Absolutely, no question about it. Cool. I love Absolutely. Harrison Barnes. I love Harry B. But I was I was curious for your answer there. Absolutely, Williams, I. What he did for them defensively, dude. Like, what, like he just had Jason Tatum and fucking Rikers. Like, I that you can't talk, say you can't. The dude came out and had a, a NBA history career, like whatever anything record of most assists in a in a finals debut, and the rest of the series he did jack shit. That's Andrew Wiggins and the Golden State defense led by Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins. That's that's all that's all I got. That's all I got. And I mean, when Andrew Wiggins first got traded, one of the first comments that I had on this podcast, and God knows how long ago this was, but I said I believe that he could be a way better version of Harrison Barnes. And to me, that would be the that would be the needle mover for them getting back to championship status. And I said this all the way back when they originally made that trade. I I had no idea that it, it would really come to fruition, but I, I, I just thought like that was the most feasible way for him to to be successful on this team. And lo and behold, here he is, a way better version of Harrison Barnes. Um and yeah, I mean he did his thing. I gotta give him props. And you know, I'm happy that he got this this opportunity to win a championship and, you know, prove that he's not a loser like the other guy is yeah but, um, I, I don't know i feel like another thing that was big was nick fans being like we should ch- take on andrew wiggins to move up in the draft and it's like yeah he maybe- was like that like as a garbage piece like that was going to be like a throw-in to a trade which is right <laughs> but then like, to your point about not going to let him go now <laughs> yeah to your point about development like Literally, who is to say besides people who live in fantasy land that if he came to the dysfunctional at the time, Knicks, Oof. like that this would still be happening with him. So it's like, I don't know, man. Like we didn't have our shit together when Nick fans wanted to trade for him. I would yeah. say we have our shit together now. I think after two years of Thibodeau, we, it's kind of known where we're at. It's known the direction we, we want to go in is, is more youth. Um and the reason for that is to build and accrue assets to use in a star trade. That's a pretty accurate description of what the Knicks are up to nowadays. And, and that's that's the team that has their shit together. There's a clear direction there. You can go get paid and be a vet and help out. You can be a kid and go try to show your stuff. Like, there's certain people who would join this team. You know, Andrew Wiggins coming here trying to have a little career remontada. Like, maybe it worked. Maybe it didn't. Like, all I know is it worked with Golden State, and we do not have anything close to what Golden State has to help him out. So, uh, yeah. you know, the people that are going and being like, oh, well, now he's a champion. The Knicks should have traded for him, I think is so stupid, too. But that's my last note on on Wiggs. He, he was amazing. Um, Small shout-outs to guys like um, Kevon Looney. I mean, played every single game this entire season, literally. So, I mean, Iron Man season from him. He really was great on the on the glass in these playoffs, and you know, gotta give him his flowers. He's he was he was arguably the best center, the most consistent center, I will say, in the playoffs. So, I mean, can't go wrong with him there. Um, Otto Porter, he did his thing when he was healthy. Jordan Poole, he's got a lot to learn from these playoffs, but you know, 
he ended up getting his shit together at the right time, which was really needed for them. Um, but yeah, want to get those small flowers out the way. Um, we can also talk about Draymond really quickly, I guess. Um, he was basically a shitter for most of the series until like the last two or three games where he finally, you know, he got it together. He got it together. <laughs> um, stopped being a podcaster first and a basketball player. Second ended up being a basketball player. First podcaster second. Um, but yeah, I mean, he really um, turned it up, especially in that last game. That game six was like truly, truly a vintage Draymond performance from the defense being locked in from the jump, hitting those jumpers. I mean, I know those felt like shotgun shells to the chest to Boston fans because like that's just like the last person you want hitting not only just like threes, but he even hit like a mid-range jumper. He was hitting Bro, layups. that was hilarious. The mid-range was hilarious. <laughs> he like, dared him to shoot, and he pulls up with his like broken ass like three-motion jump shot. It's funny because back when he was young, like he used to like dribble around the court like a wing, and he used to pull up and shoot like a normal mm-hmm. person. And now like he's wide the fuck open, and it takes him like four seconds to set his shit up. It is so funny. I do not know what happened. Like. Is it like a he got in the lab and screwed up his shot thing? Like, there's no way, you know what I mean? Like, he's literally just vibing. Yeah, like, he, it's kind of obvious he has been not coasting, but like kind of riding his IQ pretty hard and and just betting on outsmarting and getting under guys' skins and, and outplaying guys in that regard. Like, but like when it, he, when it, when it, like worse as a ball handler since he was younger, it's insane. Yeah, but like when push comes to shove, I'm glad that he knows when to actually turn it up. And the funniest thing too is um, when he made that comment to CJ McClellan, I was like, man, this is gonna age so bad. They were like, down two one. And he they were said da- that exactly. Shit. They were down two one, and he was like, y'all. He's like, they gonna be ringless just like you. And I was just like, man. I mean, I'm glad he. I'm low key glad he said it then because it 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 looks even. F- more fire now that he said it when they were down and then they came back and won three straight than if he said it when they were up and like they and then they blew a lead it would it would have looked even worse so it, it kind of worked out in his favor but that's not how it always works so but yeah i just thought that was a funny thing right there yeah <laughs> you know how it is you know how it goes yep moving over to the boston side before we actually go back to golden state d-o-l respect <laughs> but um with boston i mean um wow what a run first of all i want to say what a run by them um i'll give them their respect um un- it, it makes me like uneasy and queasy to do it but i gotta give them their respect um They turned their season around after that RJ game winner. And, you know, we've heard it a million times already, but, you know, they made their way to the finals in a season that looked very lost for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean. They have, to, they have moves to make. They do they, have moves they to need, make. They need to look at, at two spots. I think we know their two wing spots are good. You know, Jalen just showed in a league with as much parity as we have today. He can be your number two option, and you can make it to the NBA Finals. That's a real thing that just happened. I so like you know he's chilling, JT chilling, Rob will 
hopefully not injured I, for fucking life and chilling. I mean, we we can get to we can let's start there actually because I just thought that was interesting that it's funny because Isaiah Thomas he he commented on this when they said when they said he, the Boston he, he's medical he's not doing anything else, bro. He got time. Yeah, he does, he has plenty of time. <laughs> but I just thought it was funny because the Boston medical staff, we know they've been looked at in a funny light because of not just Isaiah Thomas, but I mean Gordon Hayward, even though he's he's always injury prone, it was like when he was there, it was like after the ankle thing, it was like a lot of injuries following that. But you know, they told him that that they told Rob Will that playing on that knee could not make it any worse. But like, dude is getting it drained after like every game. So it's like, how bad is it really? And it's like, we'll see next year, I guess, how bad it really is. And God bless. But I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I don't like to praise dudes for like playing on injury, but it's like, it's either you play or you look like a pussy. So it's like, I don't know. It's a, it's a very hard line to tell with. Well, yeah, because that's that, that's part of the problem, I feel like, is that, I, I don't know, because it is the finals, right? Like, you see someone like Al Horford giving it his all because he knows this is his last run, probably, definitely. Um, But for the younger guys, I feel like it's valid to be like, yo, I'm not losing out on the back end of four years of my career because of this one series. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I get that it's all worth it if you get the ring, but mm-hmm. uh, man, it's a tough call. I, they went all in on this run as a team. So you respect it. Al gave his all, you know, like even Derek white just had a kid and, and was playing and whatever. Like, they uh they went all in as a team to try and win this thing and it was part of how they were so like together as a squad so i respect it yeah and um getting back to the Celtics players that i do want to get into individual individually pause um jason tatum man wow what a series from hell basically i mean just from too many turnovers what was it the first player in nba history with 100 turnovers in a single postseason I mean, that was jarring to me because it was like James Harden didn't break this record. Like Russell Westbrook didn't break this record. Like it was Jason Tatum, which kind of speaks to the problems that the Celtics do have in terms of needing a lead ball handler to really settle things down for them. Um, Marcus Smart, he did as good of a job as he can. But I mean, he's also very limited on that end as he's not a primary guard. Um and I mean, the shot selection, Wiggins did have him in hell, but he also didn't make his job easier with the shots that he was taking. He was taking a lot of dumb shots. He was settling for a lot of shots. And maybe that was just a, a result of the Warriors defense, just f- making sure that he takes those bad shots. Um, But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering how much do you think, do you think the shoulder was an issue at all? Or do you think this was just really just a bad series from him and, He'll just learn from it. Yeah, this the the latter, man. I think that, um, you know, grabbing his shoulder after every missed shot is like <laughs> the the ultimate like LeBron whatever injury. But I mean, hey, that's um, what I do. that's what I would do. You know, I I, I, I respect. 
I trip, I roll my ankle a little bit. Every time I take a jumper, I'm like, ah, oh, man, rolling rolling my ankle in the air. Like, ah, oh, oh, this is really messing with me. But yeah, I know. I know how it is, Jason Tatum. I feel you. <laughs> um, I think that, man, who was the last person that this happened to that that I had this agenda for? Like, getting embarrassed on the biggest stage is exactly what turns careers around. Like, um, people LeBron? are like, no 2011 no. <laughs> no i was too young for that um oh i remembered that one i was like <laughs> right i was like right in middle school when that happened. that was that was the season i got into the nba i'm talking more recent there was maybe it was a conference finals some someone lost in in fashion and i was like yeah this is how you know this young guy is gonna come back hungry you know was Just it Giannis? Like, i think it was Giannis. series I think it, you know what that's what it that's what it was. It was I kept thinking it was Giannis. I had, same, I, I had that same feeling when that happened too. I kept thinking it was Giannis, but I couldn't remember the series it was, so I didn't say it. Was the Raptors because they were two one, and then they got embarrassed losing three straight. Yeah, that was it, and and I was like, that is the exact kind of humiliation that turns careers around, you know. So like JT, surprisingly, ball don't stop. Had the best take on this. Ball really? don't stop. Had the best take on this. He said. <laughs> He said Jason Tatum is 24. He's been to four conference finals, one NBA finals. He has a gold medal and something else, you know, whatever with Duke. And he was like, this guy is 24 and already showing signs of being an all-time great. He is still on that path. This is just like an extra reminder that there's work to be done. He'll do it because he's been doing it so far. Like, have some faith. And I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, bro. <laughs> like, wow, uh, too many. Well, don't too, stop being like a, a reasonable person. Too many people were too quick to totally be like, don't tell me that Tatum's top 10 ever again. And I'm like, all right, man. He's he's going to be top 10 in the league like next season. And you're going to have say- to. I will say in that game six, though, he looked like he was actively Nasty. Like, trying to stay away from the basketball. Yeah, it was nasty that, that, you know, that goes towards his hurt point. Like, oh, maybe he's out there as a decoy, whatever. But like, um, geez, man, I, I feel like after so many people hyped him up after round one as being top five or six or whatever, those same people now are like, don't don't tell me he's top 10. He's not, you know, it's like, all right, relax. There's a middle ground, right? Like maybe he's 10 in the league right now. Maybe there's nine guys better. Kawhi back 10 or whatever and he's 10 or 11 like okay that's fine you know the guys who I would have ahead of him someone like Paul George barely definitely is ahead of him after that performance but like the guys like Kawhi PG um even add uh, Embiid is like a couple years older than Tatum right so some of these guys are going to be starting to somewhat decline as Tatum reaches his bio, like biological athletic prime in his late his late twenties, early thirties. Um, he's going to be a top ten guy like his whole career. That's okay, you know. And I like that we don't have to cry about that. He's a really good player. He's actually really fun to watch sometimes. But yeah, he has moments where he gets a, goes a little soft or whatever. Um, not optimal for someone who's trying to be an all-time great. It doesn't take away from him being a great now. Uh, there's just, you know, that we were talking about earlier, that standard you get held to at those higher levels. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, he's finishing his career top 10 all time. But I'm also not going to sit here and be like, because of that finals performance when he was 24, he's no longer going to be a top 50 player ever. 
I, I, I feel like that there's still hope for that for him, you know, so I'm, I'm not writing him off. Um, same thing with Jalen. I feel like he just got shat on for not being able to dribble the ball as well as he'd like. I know what he's working on this summer. You know, like these guys are young. Yep. And that's why it's, you know, key not to really like be too harsh on them because like they're still growing into their own as players. I mean, we were just talking about how Wiggins was a loser. Wiggins was looked at as a loser for a good majority of his career that didn't care about anything but stats. But I mean, here he is in the right situation um, where everything went went well for him. Um, speaking of a guy who actually was looking for the ball in that game six, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, I thought he had an okay series. Um, what was funny to me as I, what was funny to me was watching this whole series, um, as like it went on is the focus that I paid attention to of the Warriors defense and where they forced Jalen Brown to go. And not even just Jalen Brown, but most of the Celtics players to go. But it, I focused it more on Jalen Brown because there was a, um, I think it was um, Caitlin Cooper on Twitter, who um, anyone may know from Indiana Pacers stuff. She did yeah, like she's uh, she's great. She did um she did a video of like the Warriors' defensive coverages on Jalen Brown and where they were forcing him. And they were forcing him left because they knew he wasn't going to drive and he was just going to take a lot of bad jumpers. And when I watched the Warriors' defense as a whole, it wasn't only just Jalen Brown. I noticed they were, they, were, they were doing it to a whole bunch of other players too. And I just found it hilarious that the Celtics' offense as a whole just could not drive left. And, like, that's a huge problem because, like, that makes it very easy for your team to scout. And it's going to be funny to see how teams address this next year, because I always found it interesting how teams address certain players or certain teams in the playoffs. And how do they, how does it translate to the regular season on a night to night basis? Cause you know, you're not going to be scheming for them. Like it's a playoff series, but it's a regular season game. So I just want to see how teams are going to address this Boston Celtics going left thing next year. But I did think that it was funny that Jalen Brown was like the main target of this. And, he was the main target of the Warriors defense in general because, I mean, dude cannot dribble. My God, like, he dribbles like me, and he's a professional. Yeah, it's like, that, that's, that's what I was saying earlier with him being your number two in the league nowadays. Like, a couple years back, if you said Jalen Brown at age, you know, 25 or whatever he is now is your number two option in the finals, people would have laughed at you. They were like, how do you even get there? Well... You know, you can be good in other ways and and not have amazing ball handlers nowadays and still be really good. It's just going to end up getting you exposed. Like I literally said to Schwinn, I agree with everything you said, but the Celtics are going to shit themselves and the Warriors are not. And the stats can't account for that. And he's like, but I don't get how you can say that because the Celtics have the same amount of experience, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, he's like, the experience thing is so overblown. I'm like, okay, what about the point guard thing? Like, who on Boston do you trust with the ball in their hands, making plays for the team in the crunch? Everyone said Tatum. Look how that went. Like They needed Oof. someone. Yeah, they needed someone to make the job easier for Tatum. Tatum needs, like, um, sets Ryan for him and stuff like that. And, and I mean, and he is good was... on, he's, good on, he's good on ball, but, like, you don't want to over-exasperate the point where, like, it looks like the way it looked in the finals, so... Yeah, that's why what I was saying earlier, like with Al, I think this is his last run like that. They need a point guard. They need a power forward. Those two, three, five spots, Jalen, Jason, Rob, they seem to be set. Boston's chilling there. 
But that one, that four spot, you know, they can keep smart. Smart could be the best six man in the league or whatever. I don't care. Um, but he's can't, he can't be your guy. Uh, ben Ben Goliver and Andrew Sharp on their their podcast, um, the greatest of all talk podcast, like the Goat Pod they do. Um, they've been saying for years that Marcus Smart is like a generational big shot misser. Like he always finds a way to miss like the potential game winner or whatever it is. And years later, like, yeah, look at him in the finals, bro. Like he's going three. He was three for 10, I think, last game or like four for 11, something like that. In game six, it's just like, dude, you need someone setting shots up for you. You cannot be setting shots up for yourself and Tatum. Like, I know he's the guy stirring the drink. I know he's the guy putting up six, seven assists in a game. Does not matter. You need someone who can do that without a screen, do that without real help, like play make on their own. You know, the Celtics would be best serve, in my opinion, maybe keeping Derek White to be their Marcus Smart, but cheaper and then using Smart and something else and going out and getting a, a real guy who can who can handle the ball. Or maybe use Smart to, to get a four and use Horford to get an old point guard that could actually dribble, you know, like whatever that is whatever bad contract they go pick up like that's okay you know it's about filling roles like you you guys are a certain level of team you don't have to worry about which contracts are good and bad so much anymore and speaking of such this flows easily right into our next point um where does boston go from here um this is a great learning experience for them they can make some moves but they would probably have to give up more than they would like to because they're kind of cap strapped um they're gonna need some versatile players to step in and fill out that role Fill out the rotation. I mean, if they continue, if they want to continue with this no true point guard plan and still let Marcus Smart and committee run things, but they're still going to need more versatile players. Um, because I mean, when when push came to shove, their bench basically gave them nothing in the finals. I mean, Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, Grant Williams—they really didn't do shit in those last couple finals games. I mean, aside from like Derek White and Peyton Pritchard going nuclear in Game One. You cannot name a single defining moment from that series that they contributed to. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tough. Yeah, I mean, like That's they went tough. they went nuclear in that first game and it was just like crickets. Like everyone expected from them because I mean, that's just not who they are. And you and if you want to continue with this no true point guard thing, they're gonna need more versatile players to step into those roles. So I mean, like where 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 does Boston go from here? What do you see them doing? Man, I think they think about it and they can't sell themselves on moving Smart or Horford. And they, as a team, they convince themselves to run it back. And they make some margin moves, whatever, you know, maybe. They a, still got uh, that TPE from the Evan Fournier deal. Exactly. It's going to expire they, in a they, month. They pick someone up with that. And someone else leaves, and they give they gotta a, get rid of Tice. Yeah, exactly. Like they they pick someone up, and then they they with the TPE to like maybe be a guard, right? And then they trade one person and get a back, maybe draft a backup five or whatever, and like try to roll with that, bring a vet into, and just let them compete. Um, I just see them. Uh, how do I put it? I see them seeing this team as really almost being there and just needing a little frosting on top as opposed to the whole cake was ass. You got to rebake it. Like, mm, okay. I think they just scrape off the frosting off this team and put 
newer non-expired icing on it in their view to continue this weird analogy like i don't think they go and they say hey these are really good core ingredients but what if we subbed out this flour for this type of flour i think they keep the cake i think they just switch up the the frosting and sprinkles and that's not going to be enough for them so i'm i you know if that happens i'm comfortable saying this was their best shot you know for this era at at a at a chip um but if they are comfortable getting risky then they should take a risk and I think it could pay off. I think, I don't know, man, I'm down to get like crazy stupid on here. Like would Horford smart and a bunch of firsts get you back someone if you eat some salary back or whatever, like I'm not talking one, exactly like this, but like, thing they, that they, I need Siakam. they need like Siakam from in division could help them so much. If they could just get a cheap guard then to add, like everyone would be a plus passer, you know? What, what I was listening to um Temple of Hoop. I was listening to their live podcast they were doing on like um I guess like um Spotify Green Room, I think it is. Right, yeah, yeah. Um and one of the callers had suggested what 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 would it look like for a what would it look like for Boston to do a Jalen Brown Damian Lillard swap? There's your ball handler on a big contract. That you don't, you don't have, have to worry, to worry about, about so much because you're that tiny, you're that kind of team. It's exactly what I was saying earlier, bro. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just saying. Some I mean, game, you don't have to worry older, about the defense taking so much of a hit either because the rest of the team is so well defensively. I mean, you still got Rob Will on the back line. You got Jason Tatum, who's still great defensively. So it's like, I don't know. It's a very interesting thing. I, I, I just don't know if if Portland's going to talk themselves into it because Portland just really seems adamant on we got Dame, let's compete no matter what, even if it's for like the 10th seed, let's do it, which is like very dumb. But I mean, go ahead, Portland, if you're, if that's what you really want to do, but if they do want to move off Dame, I think that would be a good starting point. Because yeah, I mean, I think they're idiots. I think it just took them that long to figure <laughs> to figure out to move CJ. Uh, I don't think they figure out to move Dame, you know, anytime soon. I thought when CJ got moved, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. They about to blow this shit up, and no, they didn't. No, they just <laughs> did the move that they should have done like four years ago. Now, I and hate gonna, teams like and, that. And gonna, teams like that piss see, me off. They're gonna see how it goes now with Dame on the wrong side of thirty. They're gonna start trying out some new shit, like idiots i hate teams like that but um going back to golden state what a dynasty i mean very few teams that we see like this they only come you know every so often so like i say i like to appreciate them i mean a lot of people hate golden state especially for what they did to the league during the kevin durant years i mean yeah whatever i mean but other than that i mean they've been pretty consistently a great team with kevin durant without him like draymond said we won without you. We'll win one another. We'll win another one without you. Like all that is true. Um, one of the all-time teams, all-time core with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. I mean, even with Clay and Draymond on the wrong sides of thirty, I mean, Steph is still able to elevate that team to unreal heights. That's a credit to him. Credit to his legacy. I mean. I mean, next year, we got the young guys all getting a year better. We got Jordan Poole. We got Jordan, um, Jonathan Kuminga. 
who really showed some great flashes this year. Moses Moody, who some people aren't really so keen on. I don't know why. Um, we got James Wiseman, who I was everyone high on Moody believes. Draft, but yeah, people think he's weird. And we got James Wiseman, who like everyone is convinced he's a bust. But like, I'm telling you, if James Wiseman can just do like simple screen setting, rim running, passing on the short roll, stuff like that, that's a great seven footer to have in their rotation. Was that the best draft choice they should have made at that time? Absolutely not. Doesn't matter. They still got a championship, which is like hilarious too. But I mean, are they the favorite next year? Man. The uh, yeah, you know what? The Warriors are gonna be the odds favorite, but I don't think they're the actual favorite. <laughs> I think teams running it back is tough. I know Otto Porter might stay on a vet min again. He was yeah, they might chat, be able to get a lot of vet men, guys. Chatting earlier today about how he loves being there, so I can see him staying. I was just gonna say how important it is to replace his production, and then I logged on Twitter and I saw a tweet from two hours ago that says he really <laughs> wants to stay. So not gonna make that point. Um but regardless, uh, I, dude, they have like, they, how do I put this? They could use a really explosive sixth man in Jordan Poole who does not have to play like a starter because Clay stinks. You know, you know what I mean? Like Clay and Dre doing their little not real player thing for so long that like pool became a super real thing because of the usage he was getting. Cause he was the yeah. best option. He's not actually that good. He just like, you know, he's really good, but he's not actually some like people Steph were st- starting. Yeah. People were starting to say like, Oh, they have Steph and they have Steph jr. Like this team is terrifying. Like, fucking relax. Um, but nah, like I think if they can keep pool in that role and still try to do something to the starting lineup, like I would say get a better center, but Looney just balled out. So yeah, the really, whole playoffs, he was killing. I think there's there's something the Warriors can do. Moses um, Maloon. And, <laughs> um, wow, that's fire. What was the other one that people said? It was like um, Alaj 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 Some yeah, Alaj Lunan. Yeah, some something crazy like that. Um, listen, man, we just talked about Portland not wanting to make a tough choice and trade CJ because he's so tight with Dame. I think Golden State might need to look into moving Mr. Thompson. Uh you you can't you can't trade Draymond. You can't trade anyone else. Staff, whatever, not an option, right? It's just you don't think about that. Um not that Draymond's in Steph's category, but like I don't know. What are you gonna get back for Draymond that's like worth it? I don't know. For me, if you could trade Clay and try to make some sort of upgrade, you know, because what Clay is isn't what Clay was. And that's okay. But do you want to reward your guys and coast on vibes and run back this whole team? Or are you going to take a risk and shake things up to keep winning? Because I'm a firm believer that, like, even after a chip, you need to make some sort of change. But you, you learn from make- how you get better. You don't want to blow the team up. You don't want to 2013 nix it. You know, everyone's super old and Not everyone's got to go. Not even just that example. What happened to my favorite example of a team trying to shake things up and it going to the wrong way is what happened to the Mavericks after they won their championship. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, was that's a terrible series of moves that just ended up 
the absolute worst way. I just think with what we saw from Clay, with what we saw from people playing behind Clay, with what we know with Kuminga and Moody waiting in the rafters, like they've got a spot at wing to clear up, man. I think I think they could trade Clay and and end up better long term because of it if it's the right trade. I'm not saying get rid of him to get rid of him, but you know. I think you've got to make something happen to for this team to win again. And I think they can win again, but I definitely don't think they're the favorite next year. And I, I think they got to change something up. Uh, early, early favorite pick, assuming they do something at point guard in free agency and, and Mr. June can become a sixth man. Uh, I love the Clippers next year, but that's just because I'm yeah, a, a lot of people, a, a lot of people like boy. the Clippers next year. It's just a matter of the health with their wings. I mean, well, that's the thing. Kawhi, they got this Kawhi's year. Kawhi's been like, a myth chill. for a no. year. He, he's been working out, man. We'll see. We'll see. I, I do like I do like Golden State to repeat because I, ju- I, ju- I just think that they'll be able to pick up those veterans that are like, they're still able to contribute, like, but like they don't need to contribute at such a high level, but they'll be able to contribute on those veteran minimum contracts like we saw um, during the Durant years, like when they picked up like David West and Swaggy P and JaVale McGee, and those guys were able to just play the roles that they needed to at the right time. And I think they'll be able to do that again because guys will see that, oh, Golden State is right back at the top. And they're not like they're not like the Kevin Durant heavyweight favorite, but like they're still a favorite and I can go there and I can contribute like – I think they'll still get those type of veterans, and I don't really know who those guys are at the moment, uh, and we'll see how free agency plays out. But I do think that's how they'll shake things up, and they'll end up giving some of their younger guys um, um, more prominent rotation minutes. Like I think Jonathan Kuminga will definitely get more minutes in the rotation. As you were speaking with with Clay, they may not even have to move him. They could just move Jordan Poole and Moses Moody up on the depth chart a little bit more, giving them more run and letting Clay ease back into things as the regular season starts and then in the playoffs they go back to a more of a clay heavy rotation i could definitely see that happening yeah man i mean they maybe it's just about the rotations but i'm telling you this team's got to switch something up if they want to win again they can win a lot of games and not a championship and run it back and that would be really fun for the fans you know it would be more fun for the fans <laughs> a fifth ring on steph's finger so I think that yeah. can happen. I just think something needs to happen. Um, Jeez. I, I can't suggest trading Wiggins, but the thought just popped in my head, like maybe moving. You know, that's just insane. That's not right. Yeah, you can't after what he just did. That's, that's, not, that's not right. So who's the one that just shattered up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying I don't like Clay. I, I, I was so happy. He would happy be the most obvious one. It's just like, I can't see them. Because I mean, the story of the whole the story of the whole um offseason and the playoffs has been this core three group of guys, Steph, Clay, Draymond. So for them to just go and like turn around and trade Clay, I just I, I personally cannot see them doing that. Just because the story of the of the team throughout this eight year run has been the core three guys. And when all core three are healthy, that's when they've won their championships. That's when they've gone to the finals. I mean, I saw this stat, it was like Every year where those three are in the starting lineup, they've went to the finals. Wow. He's, he's like, <laughs> All he's right. like, yeah. So, I mean, like, they just can't go behind and just, like, trade him. So, yeah. 
I I don't see them trading him, but I I do see a shakeup in like maybe different vets. One thing that's going to be interesting to see is if they can retain GP two. I think he's played himself out of their pay range where they can't really pay him that cheap contract. That that's okay. I think that's and that's okay. fine. Yeah, I think that's one of the switch ups they got to do too. Is like someone bigger at that position. I know he can dunk. Like I know he's a really fun dunker, but um, there are certain pieces on this team that like. Even a team like Boston, or rather, if you want to be more ready for a team like Boston, if you can beat all the smaller teams, but that the ones with size are genuinely giving you trouble, like, yeah, you, you got or maybe, or maybe, I mean, the first one to say this, maybe Wiseman is the big shakeup. Oh man, I was just about <laughs> to say, I was just about to maybe say, if he's just a competent center next year, keep, keep Clay. Keep Dre, keep Steph, the three, obviously, and then just get a big upgrade at center. Man, James Wiseman turning into that would be very big for them, considering they invested the number two overall pick on him over LaMelo Ball. Like, LaMelo Ball would have had the perfect role on Golden State, not actually a lead play. He would have been a connector, like the best connecting player in the league. Yep. And they went with Wiseman. I was saying the whole cycle, that was my first draft ever. And me analyzing my first group of prospects for real ever was saying they got to go after a Kung Wu over Wiseman if they're going to grab a center. Lo and behold, you know, a Kung Wu, we're talking about the Hawks needing to trade Clint Capella to make room for him. The Warriors would love to have Clint Capella. So, like, yeah, I think there's something there. Absolutely. If, if Wiseman can be real next year, that would be very cool for them. You're right. Yep. I mean,. I just don't want to. I just don't want to write him off. And like n- next year, he's one of those dudes that's like actually like he's not going to be like what they like dreamed of when they spent the number two overall pick on him. But he's just like a competent role player that can just play his role and you know give Looney a little break. Or and 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 they can still play somewhat big without having to go small so often too. Um, going back to the Mavericks reference that I referenced earlier, that offseason was crazy for them. So they, they sign and trade Tyson Chandler to our New York Knicks, of course, where they got back Andy Rottens and a 2012 second round pick and a TPE. They then traded Karan Butler, who was injured for like half the season in all the playoffs. Um, he signed with the Clippers. Um, JJ Barea left. He was one of their key rotation guards. Peja Stojakovic retired. He was one of their best three-point shooters that year. Deshaun Stevenson, another one of their snipers, left for the New Jersey Nets. Um, and to replace all those guys, they signed Brandon Wright, Vince Carter, Lamar Odom through a trade with the Lakers, um, Delonte West, and Yijin Lian. I remember. I remember him. <laughs> yeah, and that was their offseason following a championship. Where they got bounced in a sweep in the first round to Oklahoma City. <laughs> and then yeah. the following year, or the years proceed from following, I mean, they ended up getting um, OJ Mayo, Jay Crowder, um, Monte Ellis, and they never got back to that championship form. So it's like, when you make those shakeups, you gotta be sh- you gotta be either really sure about what you're doing, or it can't be too extreme to that Dallas Mavericks extent. So, just hoping the Warriors, you know, they keep things simple, switch up the vets, 
bring in their young guys and, you know, keep this thing moving. Um, let's get into some NBA news, man. So NBA is starting to heat up as we get towards the draft and, you know, trade season is back on the docket. We had, we had a couple of trades actually. Um, one of them wasn't as major, um, that I don't think we really have to get into where, um, oh, the, the, nuggets, the, the nuggets, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the nuggets traded Jermichael green and a first round pick to Oklahoma city, which I thought was funny. I guess in a way, but I just didn't really think it was it was worth spending too much time talking about a more important trade that happened between a contender and a up and coming team. Or not really up and coming team, but one of the younger teams that are really stocking up on young players. Um, between the Houston Rockets and the Dallas Mavericks, I want to pull up this trade in full so I, that way I get all the details. Uh, Christian Wood goes to the. Um, to the Dallas Mavericks and Dallas Maverick fans. They were not happy as I follow a couple of them. Um, Dallas sent. So, okay. Dallas got Christian Wood from the Houston Rockets in exchange for the number 26 pick in the 2022 NBA draft, along with Boban Marjanovic, Marquise Chris, Trey Burke, and Sterling Brown. Um, Sources said Houston was motivated to move Wood because the Rockets wanted to open up playing time for 2021 first rounder Sangoon and likely the number three overall pick who we do not know who will be yet, but a lot of people are speculating. It may be, it may be Paolo. Yeah, man. Everyone's saying Jabari. And then like people on the side are like, no, it's going to be Paolo. I think what might happen is Paolo to Orlando, but not at one. I think they might be capping crazy about wanting Jabari to, trick someone to trade up it actually just happened um in the strickland mock draft alex wolf had orlando he kept going in the group chat being like league sources are telling adrian wojernowski that the magic are closing in on jabari in the strickland mock draft and that dude omar fell for it and gave up assets to move up from number three to number one to get jabari and then alex took paolo at three and was like i hope you all know he was number one on my board and i just played you and literally only omar is who fell for it but like it worked takes one team yep it takes one team and there are plenty of stupid teams in this nba um the rockets pounced on the opportunity to acquire a first round selection without taking on any long long-term salary so dallas mavericks they pick up a more versatile offensively minded center um who can't play center i may add so which side of the docket do we want to start on do we want to start on the dallas mavericks side or the Rocket yeah, side. Dallas. Let's do Dallas. Like, do we think we watched them? We watched them this playoffs and said, "Wow, they are really close to being really good." If they retain Brunson and now they got Wood, is that enough? <laughs> you know, like, is, does that put them over the top? I, I think it might be a situation where Luca gets so good and masterful at the NBA level that just having guys that are better, <laughs> you know, playing with him, uh, maybe he can do enough to push for. The, a finals run next year but with Christian Wood playing in a contract year, you know? But, like, man, do I hope they flip this guy at the deadline <laughs> to a team that actually wants to re-sign him if they want to be good, good. I don't, you know, you're banking on him caring next year, which he will because it's a contract year. What happens when that deal gets signed, you know? Yep, it's always a matter of what happens when that deal gets signed because 
team in New York just got tricked by that same bullshit type of the plan. Anyways, yeah. anyways, yeah. anyways, um, with the Mavericks, <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting because um, I mean, defensively they were okay. Christian Wood is absolutely putrid on the defensive end. He's also very immature, which is something that came up a lot in Houston. I mean, he was one of the older guys on the team, but he and Kevin Porter Jr. had to be constantly like disciplined on that team as a result of their immature behavior. And like, if you're not going to care and you're going to act like a baby when your coach wants to discipline you and show you the right way to go about things it's just gonna be it's gonna be really it's gonna be hard to convince me to like really believe in you being a positive contributor to a team that just went to the western conference finals and they don't necessarily need you they just traded they just basically traded all of the cheerleaders from that team minus theo pinson we stand with theo and a late first for you so like if if Christian Wood doesn't get in line and he doesn't get his shit together, he's like gonna be on his way out at the deadline, like you speculate or at least like you hope. But yeah, I mean, I yeah. just don't really, I don't, I'm not really like sold on this move for Christian Wood or the Mavericks because, and this is not the only stop that Christian Woods had this issue too. I mean, this has been a constant thing that's come up in multiple stops in his career. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, defensively, Christian Wood cannot play the five either. Like, they have to put a five out there with him. I mean, he gives them something offensively that they don't have at that bigger man spot as someone who can create a little bit of his own offense, um, be able to take, you know, bigger guys off the dribble as well. So it gives them a, a little extra dimension there. But defensively, they do take a hit down low it's gonna be interesting to see what they do from there um but yeah i mean i'm not really i really i'm not really so any one way i'm really indifferent on this move but i'm really not that positive about it either on the um on the rocket side rockets now have three 17 and 26 yeah they got a pick in the draft they don't care about the salary. They got to pick. Yeah. And I mean, half those guys are probably going to be off the roster by opening night. So. Exactly. But yeah, so number three, I think they're really happy if Paolo falls to them. They might have to take Jabari there. We'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. Um, but I think Chet's gone by two. So, yeah. And then with 17 and 26, uh, I'm personally very intrigued by the value you can get at 17. In this draft, based on what that pick normally is, because I've been talking a lot on draft class about how I think like the six to seventeen range in this draft is like all the same tier of prospect in a in a large scale thing, like large scale point of view. So mm. I love I love having the seventeenth pick in this draft a lot actually because someone like EJ Liddell or even maybe Jalen Jalen Williams could be there, and that that would be a great pick at, 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 in the mid first round. However. Just because we're both Nick fans, I got to bring this up. Do we think Houston, after selecting four times in the first round last year, having three first round selections lined up this year, that's seven in two years, only in the first round, not even talking about second round pickups, undrafted, whatever. Do we think that they're interested in taking 17 and 26 
and one of their young guys and looking at 11 and getting someone back from the Knicks. That could be that could be something. The Knicks could then take that 17th pick, you know, get one of their guys that they like at 11 but are going to take at 17 because of the value. And then instead of drafting again in the first round, just kick the pick down the road like they did with the Charlotte and then use it on an acquisition later. Probably for us, it would be in a star trade. But the last time we did this, we ended up punting at 19 where we were comfortable drafting Quentin Grimes to take him at 25, get the first from Charlotte, and then trade that for Cam Reddish. We basically drafted like what, like a 22, 23-year-old Cam Reddish with 19 overall. That's fascinating to me. I think that's something we could do again if we draft at 17 or say we get to 17 and all our guys are gone again in that range. Screw it. Punt that pick. Kick it down the road and then pick your guy at 25. Bochamp, Marjan Bochamp at 25, something like that. You know, that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I mean, teams, you know, they're always looking to maneuver on draft night. I mean, this last draft night, we saw a lot of weird maneuvering, especially by the Knicks, like you said. We saw them, like, move down, like, a whole bunch of times. And, like, every time it happened, like, Knicks fans were, like, just, like, losing their minds, like, what was going on. But I I could definitely see that situation playing out again just with, like, a whole bunch of different teams because we're entering, like, a space where teams – I feel like teams that are even like on the cusp of being in the play-in, they're going to go for it. So it's going to be very interesting to see how teams try to maneuver this draft night. And like, even like a team like Milwaukee, I seen like some of their fans saying to use the pick this year and not trade it. I wonder what type of player they expect to get at that spot to contribute. It's just like, it's very fascinating to, to see all these different teams perspectives and like where they could go from here. I mean, last year on draft day, we had the Russell Westbrook trade. So it was just like, it's it's a very interesting day and we're going to see a lot of interesting maneuvers. I just can't wait for, for that day to happen. Yeah, man, I think, uh, there are a million paths that could be walked. So as someone who has spent now the last 10 weeks, putting out a weekly podcast on all the paths and what they would mean and what kind of paths they are. I'm just about ready to see what the hell is actually going to (laughs) happen. Yep. All right. I think that's all we got for today's episode. Chris, let the people know where they could find you at. Hey man, thank you for having me on. This was real fun. Uh, I always enjoy, as I said at the top of the show. So thanks again. I am at Chris Percyinen on Twitter. The insane spelling will be in the, the name of this podcast. Uh, but you can look up Nick's Film School and check out the Draft Class podcast or any of the mailbags or even my new live stream, Dream, Draft Rules, Everything Around Me. Uh, that's like a new live stream series. I think there's going to be one more of those. So that'll be like a two-part, and there's going to be another live stream coming up in the coming days. And of course, last two episodes of Draft Class, my guests were Mark Berman and Ian Begley. Lots of good info from them. Uh, like just they those names speak for themselves they were awesome uh but as always thanks again to sam for having me on and i hope y'all enjoyed this this pod for sure and you know i will link as always the strickland um a lot of excellent draft profiles that have been put out as of recently um and i believe there will be something live stream related on draft night 
if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know where to go. Um, and all that information will be in the show notes below. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out and we're out of here. Peace. Thank you.